This is episode number 172 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, it's Jessie. Today's show is brought to you by my pregnancy and postpartum fitness coaching program to pregnancy and beyond. Over the last five and a half years of to pregnancy and beyond coaching, we have worked with thousands of pre and postnatal people, helping them to feel more capable and confident in their ever changing newest versions of their bodies. To Pregnancy and Beyond is designed to be two to three workouts per week to a simpler, stronger pregnancy and postpartum experience for you. It will be a fit if you are feeling exhausted, achy, tight in your body, and you want a workout plan that will help you to feel more comfortable. Your mental and emotional health have shifted in big ways since becoming pregnant or a parent, and you know that moving your body will help support your overwhelm, anxiety, or depression. You are feeling frustrated with the pelvic floor symptoms you're having, such as leaking or pelvic organ prolapse, and you want a fitness program and coaching that specifically addresses these concerns. And ultimately, you want a deeper sense of enjoyment in your body and want to feel more connected with it through these big transitions you're going through. So into pregnancy and beyond, you start with us in either the prenatal or postnatal track and you get access to a new workout program every four weeks. With every four-week phase you unlock, it progresses you to workouts that are specific to your time point in pregnancy or that continue to adequately challenge you more so in post-pregnancy times. This is the only space where I actively coach clients, so it is the perfect opportunity for those who are wanting one-on-one feedback, want to ask me questions directly, and want to build relationships with other people in our intimate community of members. Hop over to the link in the show notes of today's episode to go to the registration page for Two Pregnancy and Beyond, and you'll be able to choose your monthly or annual plan with us. I can't wait to work with you inside of Two Pregnancy and Beyond. It is such a joyful community, and we'll be so lucky to have you. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell. And today we're so lucky to be joined by Anemisip Graham, who is the founder and owner of Mummy Fitness. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me, Jesse. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we finally get to speak face to face, of course, across the internet. But I have known of you and your work for must be multiple years now been connected through pregnancy and postpartum fitness and exercise education work so 
before we hop into all of that that we're going to cover today, and Emma said, can you tell us your pronouns and tell us about the work that you do? Um, I'm my name is Emma said I'm my pronouns are she and her, and I'm a personal trainer, and I mostly um, work with. Uh, women. I work with prenatal and postpartum people and um, yeah just all things to do with uh, women's health and fitness. That's kind of where my passion has is. Yeah so let's jump back to really what I would love to know is how you got into fitness coaching in the first place and we might have to take a really long view back to perhaps your childhood and your relationship to your body and all the things that have changed with that over the years but tell us just a little bit about growing up you were born in Nigeria you moved to England when you were a kid and then eventually found your way to Canada so tell us about kind of short version of that whole process for you growing up as a kid and what it was like to be in your body as a child. Okay, so yeah, I was born in Nigeria. I moved to England when um, I was five. So my dad's a doctor and a gynecologist and he got hired at a um, hospital in England. I grew up in England and then I've been in Canada for the last 13 years. Although like I was always active in school, I like enjoyed, I enjoyed sports. I was in um, the track team, different uh, sports groups. It was it was just kind of something I did because it was there and it was available to me. But after I left uh, high school, I wasn't active in any kind of sports and I wasn't really interested in fitness. And for me, the way the exercise I felt like was marketed or the, the way that I understood it was it was something that you did if you wanted to lose weight. And I've always been like I've just been naturally skinny. And even growing up, my mom used to dress me one of the things I think I tend to wear fitted clothing now. And I think it's like a rebellion from when I was a child. My mom used to put me in shapeless dresses in these what I call triangle dresses because I was so skinny. And people would point out like, why is your daughter so skinny? Why aren't you feeding her? So that was just kind of like and I never struggled with my weight. Then I had a couple of babies. My oldest two are two years apart. And it was postpartum from my second son that um, like my body changed during the pregnancy. But then I, after the second son, my belly just didn't go back flat. It was soft. It was distended. And then I started about six months. I started wondering like why I wasn't just like snapping back kind of like I had with my first child. And my understanding of that was that, oh, it must be fat. I must need to lose weight. And a lot of the things I'd seen for postpartum women is all about weight loss, the snapback. So I went on a diet. At the time, I weighed 110 pounds, but I was like, well, this is clearly fat. So I went on a diet and I dropped to 90 pounds and I'm five foot seven. So I was like looking really pretty emaciated, but my belly was still distended. And so it was at that point that I thought, well, maybe this isn't a fat thing. And it was just, I was in a few different exercise groups trying to like find information to like get my like post quote unquote post baby body. And I posted a picture of myself planking and I just said, Hey, does anyone else's belly look like this when they plank? Just cause I noticed like a lot of skin hung down and a lot of my belly like distended down the midline in a way that I'd never noticed before I had kids. And someone commented, Oh, that looks like you have diastasis recti. And I never even heard that phrase in my whole life. So of course I went into Google and I Googled it. And then I saw all these images of women that were pretty slender and they had a distended belly like I did. And that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, then this might be something different. 
And so that's kind of when my own thing was journey into fitness was trying to kind of figure that out. And at first, when I came across, I'm like, oh, what do you do with a diastasis? And the option I ever, ever often came across with is if you want your belly to be fat again, you have to have like a mummy makeover, you have to have a tummy tuck. And for me, initially, um, when I was six, I was born with a large ventral hernia, a large umbilical hernia. It's two hernias that sit on top of each other. An umbilical hernia is a hernia at the belly button. And a ventral hernia is any hernia um, in your abdominal area. And so I have an um, abdominal hernia, sorry, an umbilical hernia and a ventral hernia that sits directly above it, which made it look like I just had a really large belly button. And it's something I've kind of always been aware of, but it wasn't something I was self-conscious about so when I moved from Nigeria to England um, I was six years old I started a whole new school I'd been going to a primary school in England for about a year in Nigeria and I started going to first school in England it was in uh, I was the only black student in that school it was a predominantly white city and so then I just started like I was different from all the other kids. So then I started experiencing bullying, people pointing out all the things that were different about me and something obvious when I changed for PE, uh, physical education was my large belly button. So then that kind of being became something people started pointing out and you could see it through my clothes and people started pointing out, oh, what's that lump through your clothes? And then I started becoming aware of it. And I had surgery to kind of change the appearance when I was six. And what my mother told, tells me, because as an adult, I asked her, like, why did you let me have surgery so young? And she said that I refused to stop, stopped refusing to take my clothes off in front of her. She said I had this six-year-old daughter who wouldn't undress in front of anybody, including myself, because you were so self-conscious about your body. And I just she wanted to figure out a way that she could fix it so I wouldn't grow up with body image issues. So I had this surgery, which then I have like a lot of unpleasant memories about the surgery and like just about the experience. And I didn't really understand what was going on because I was six years old. I didn't. And then post the surgery, it was never explained to me. So then I grew up with this scar across my belly button, which I like it's ironic. Like my mom wanted to kind of fix prevent me from having body image issues from me not dealing with this large belly button. But then I had this large scar that made me really self-conscious about it. And so then um, I didn't like the way my uh, belly looked. And then linked with the scar growing up, um, I didn't understand why it had the surgery. I didn't understand, like even the word hernia, I wasn't a word that was used to describe my belly till my second pregnancy. I finally, I like asked my doctor, like, what is this bulge? And he said, oh, that's just a hernia. But until then, nobody had ever told me it was a hernia. So I knew I had these weird lumps in my belly that I had surgery. The surgery, after the surgery, the hernia came back. So I'm like, I had surgery that didn't fix the issue. So I'm not sure what the doctor did. And then as I started thinking about like getting married and having kids, then I started thinking like, what was done to my belly? So that grow another fear I had this fear that I'm like might be infertile because I'm like my belly was cut into I have no idea what happened like what does this mean for me and so all these things like I just had a didn't like my body and so when I'm faced with diastasis and I'm being given this option of surgery again I was like very resistant to it it, my whole thing was like no I don't want surgery I don't have any memories of surgery like that was my whole thing I just based on my experience and so I was like well what else what other options this can't be the only way and that's what brought me into exercise so like sometimes I've been uh, like just through social media people see they said like oh you're so brave not to have surgery like I just couldn't exist like this but for me it wasn't bravery like 
it was like the opposite of bravery. Like it would have been, I feel like, I guess, brave for me to have surgery because it would have faced a fear that I had, but I didn't want to because I had negative experiences from it. So my whole thing was like, what else is there? And then that's when I started seeing that exercise might be an option for me. What a journey. Oh my gosh. It's just, yeah, so much from such a young age of moving through, yeah, all these different relationship phases of relationship with your body and how so much is centered around our bellies from such a young age. I think that that is such a universal thread for many of us, especially those of us who identify as women, those of us who have pregnancies and postpartum. And yes, then these added layers of the hernia and diastasis it's really a lot to try to untangle in your brain throughout these years. So I'm really interested, what's the relationship that you have with your belly now? Um, it's, it's like, it's funny. There's a quote that says the opposite of hate isn't it's the, it's the opposite of love isn't hate it's indifference but if you flip it like the opposite of hate isn't love it's indifference and sometimes I feel like people there's a this whole the body image movement and there's this idea that you have to like love your body and I think people struggle with that because they're like how can I love my body that I've hated for so long and for me like I spent a long time hating it and being obsessed about all these things about it and now when I see it like I still have the scars and I still have like things that have built on top of that with having three pregnancies I have stretch marks I have excess skin and I have my belly still distends I probably more than it would if I didn't have a large diastasis but now I look at my belly I often feel like not disgusted just kind of not anything I think there's a little bit of like an indifference like it's there but I don't have these strong emotions about it and that's what's um that's what's um kind of changed over time I feel like I haven't I don't know I guess I haven't learned necessarily to fall in love with my body but I've learned to hate it a little bit less each time until I don't have these strong emotions about what it looks like it just looks like this and then where are the things my emotions are tied into is my ability to do the things or progress in the things that I want to do but even just having the disconnect it means that I can I can have feelings about my body and just kind of let the feelings pass and still move on and I'll have a lot of times that um, I'll feel myself at the gym to see what my belly is doing or to use it as an ex- a teaching example. And lots of the time I'm in the gym, I'm by myself and it's fine. But sometimes like someone walks in when I'm filming and suddenly like all in my head, it's like, oh, your belly, they're going to look at you. Like, what are they going to think? And those thoughts flood in. But it's also like, I just kind of remind myself, like, it's okay. I'm allowed to exist in this body. It's okay. Like I'm allowed to just be, and that's it. And just, yeah. And so now I feel like, I don't know. And I don't even know if indifference is the word because it's not like I don't care. It's just that I don't have strong emotions about what my body looks like. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful place to land at this moment of time and knowing that it could always change how you feel, but just more of a neutral place. Like these are the facts. This is what your belly looks like right now. And it is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, that's for my, I mean, there's things I've learned because I've realized like for a while I have liked nothing about my body and you'll, I'll work with people that are at that point. They're like, um, there's, you know, change your, these ideas that you can change your thoughts. And people say, well, what do you like about your body? And some people are at a place that they like absolutely nothing. And it, so 
it's not, it's just learning to not have strong feelings about it, I think is the first step. And I do have things that like I love about my body, but that kind of came later when I started disconnecting from the things I hated about it as much and through it, because I think a lot of it was tied to like my, what I think a lot of people tie our body image to our worth and like moving from uh, Nigeria to England and that being and a lot of things were different about me other than my belly but then it started because I was bullied I started questioning my worth and it was like this is the thing that is different about me so this must be the thing that makes me worth less and then with the surgeries um, then it was like then it was just another thing it reinforced and now I have scars and then I had this fear that it meant that I couldn't have children and so that was something else that I disliked about my belly because now like this bulge this hernia this surgery like this has affected my ability to potentially like be able to have children down the line so that was a fear I carried and when um, I did start trying to have my first son it took my husband and I eight years before we got pregnant the first time and so then this fear kind of became a self-confirming prophecy with our second son, our second children are two years, two weeks, less two years apart. And him, it took me like with him, my uh, best friend and I had had gotten pregnant with our first children together by chance with her second son. She told me like one day she said, oh, like I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant with my second son. And I'm like, oh, it would be so funny if we had our kids together again. I'm going to get pregnant. And like literally three weeks later, I had a positive test. And so I even went to my doctor and I said like, how did that happen? It took me to eight, us eight years for me to get pregnant the first time and three weeks the second time. And she was just like, I don't know. Sometimes bodies just do things. And that was it. She didn't really have an answer. And I think that was part of thinking that these things meant that my body was worthless or that my body could do less or that, that I could achieve less and learning that I don't know, like there's a lot that we don't know about our bodies. There's a lot we don't know about our reasons and there's a lot that affects what we're able to do outside of just what our body looks like. And I know they say, you know, things like stress and there's, it's, you hear the stories often that when you, people stop trying to conceive is when they conceive because that whole pressure adds to it. And even when, and that links to with the diastasis, there was a lot of things that I believed I couldn't do with that with, because I had diastasis. And when that belief was broken and I just started working towards the things that I actually wanted to do, then the diastasis didn't become so powerful. And I think that's kind of what's changed the relationship with my belly, learning that despite all of these things, or even with all of these things, I can, I'm still able to move forward and to move towards the different goals that I have in life. I really love that distinction, especially with all of these things that you are carrying in your body and stories we have about our bodies you are able to do all of these things and let's just take a moment to note that you are strong as hell I love watching the videos of you lifting in the gym it's so fun to see the things you do with your body so talk us through that from that moment that person commented saying oh that looks like diastasis recti and then what has it been like from then until now feeling this sense of confidence in the gym and lifting so yeah, once I got like that kind of Facebook diagnosis, then I went to find all the things about it. And so you, know, you type in diastasis, what should I do? How should I fix this? And you get all the information. And then like that was eight years ago, there were a lot of different lists, like do this and don't do this. And then there were a lot of different popular programs claiming that they would like fix your diastasis. They would close the gap. They would um, flatten your belly. And so I bought a couple of them and then I do the programs and 
it's kind of like the goal was to flatten your belly and not look pregnant. That's a lot of the marketing. So it's, it was very based on the aesthetic feedback. So you do the workout and like you look in the mirror and like nothing changes and you do the workout the next thing you look in the mirror and you feel like regardless of whether you're progressing or not, like looking at your body every single day, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And also I came from a place that I didn't exercise at all. I didn't exercise regularly. I had no in- regularly. I had no interest in it to these programs that said you have to do these three times a week. You have to do it four times a week. So I found it hard to go from nothing to the movements. And also there was one program that I did the first four weeks about four times over. And then I just gave up. It was a 12, a one year program, but I never got past the first month because I just, I couldn't get into it. I was bored. I was overwhelmed. And I was talking to my uh, friend about it. And then she was really just into weightlifting. That was her thing. She liked bodybuilding. And she said, well, like I like weightlifting. That's the kind of exercise I enjoy. So why don't you just come to the gym with me and lift with me? And at that point it was like, I don't know. I felt like I had nothing to lose. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. I the information I was getting was exercise or have surgery. So I'm like, I guess I have to exercise, but I hate this way. So let me go with her and do it. And like lifting with her and she wasn't a trainer. She didn't know anything about diastasis. She just kind of told me, but she'd been in the gym she was since she was 14. So she told me what she knew. Like she you know, told me like how many reps to lift, how to lift it, like c- corrected the things about my form that she thought might be helpful. And then I just, it might've been just being there with a friend, but that was the first time I was exercising and I enjoyed it. And so I was like, okay, I'll go back with her. And then with that, with strength training, then I started seeing my body wasn't changing physically that I could notice, but my ability was, and it'd go from one month I could do one weight and the next month I could do a little bit more weight or one month I'd struggle with a movement and the next month it didn't feel so hard. And so like, that was nice to see those things. And so that kept me coming back. I was like, okay then. And then over the time, because it's like, like your beliefs, it's, there's a lot of like self-confirming prophecies in fitness. Cause I had the belief that I, that the hernia or the scar would affect my fertility. And then when I did struggle to get pregnant, like that was, I kept believing like there was something wrong with me. There was something wrong with me. And I remember I went and I had a bunch of different tests. I had like the ink um, being put through my tubes to see if my tubes were blocked and like different stuff that kind of didn't show anything that the doctor could say. But I even remember at the time, my doctor kept saying, telling me that I needed to get my husband tested for different things, get his sperm tested, get this, because it's a lot less invasive for men for testing. But my belief since I, my whole life was like, I was the problem. So I was like, it doesn't even need to get tested. Like, I know I'm the problem. And then when I got pregnant, I was like, oh, well, maybe there is no, something wrong with me. So it was the same with the diastasis. After I had two kids in two years, then I started having like back pain. I started like having some incontinence. If I sneeze, I'd pee a little bit. If I run, I'd pee a little bit. Like I didn't feel as stable. My belly just felt soft. Everything felt different. And so online, the information was telling me that diastasis gives you back pain. Diastasis makes you incontinent. Diastasis means that you're um, dysfunctional, that you're unstable. So all those things, I'm like, well, obviously it's the diastasis. So I need to fix the diastasis to be able to fix these things. But going to the gym and weightlifting with my friend and actually enjoying it, I started over several months, like the back pain started reducing and then the back pain went away and then the incontinence started improving. And then like my belly, like I still not like a six pack, but like it was reducing and I wasn't feeling like as unstable, but the gap was still there. Even to today, I have a six finger gap. And that was the point that I started thinking like, well, 
maybe it's not the diastasis. And so that's when I started sharing because I'm like, well, people are telling me that I shouldn't be able to do these things or telling me that if I deadlift, that I'd be worse. But since I started deadlifting, like I feel better. They're telling me that I shouldn't lift heavy weights. But when I lift heavy weights, I feel better. And so I'd share that. And then I'd get sometimes messages from trainers and PTs that would tell me that the information that I was sharing was dangerous and I shouldn't put it out there. And like, I was the like exception to the rule that like I was lucky, but other people might not be as lucky. And then that was the kind of thing. And then I didn't want to give information that would hurt people. And then I had another friend that said like, I mean, why don't you just get certified and then you'll have the information to back up what you're saying. And so I was like, okay, then let me look at some personal training certifications. And that's kind of what started that journey. And then I've discovered, like, I like, learning things and so when I did one certification and I got some information I wanted to know more and then I just started from there like looking for different certifications I could take like who could tell me more like and um yeah yeah amazing I think it's so interesting how the fitness industry and really pregnancy postpartum pelvic health we've kind of come back around more to how you started out with just trying things testing them see how your body responded to them and that's kind of where we're starting to land again now within this industry so you know we went through a period of many years where people were very scared about diastasis and the advice really was to back off and to do less and to fix that gap and to close it and don't have any doming or bulging and that's a bad sign we've just learned so much in the last you know, even three to five years really has been huge changes within this industry. And I think your story has been so powerful within that and has helped so many people in their own journeys with their bodies. Yeah, I I hope so. I think I just started like learning not to compare my body with other people's. And I think there's a lot of it like that, even within a fitness training certification that I took, because even like in just general personal training books, they have all these like examples of form, what a person should look like, what a person should look like, how a person should move. And I know I went to a course in Calgary and they had a lot of people um, studying the same course and we were assessing each other to help us with our exam. And someone like looked at me just standing there and he like looked at the book and he said, oh, well, you have a lumbar lordosis. Look at how your hip dips like the other women didn't do that. Meanwhile, like for most of most rooms I'm in, many most rooms I'm in, I'm the only black person standing in the room. And this course, I was the only black person in the course. I was the only black female. And I like looked and I'm like, no, my bum looks my like my back. I have a dip in my back. Like my mother has a dip in my back. Like my aunt has a dip in my back. Like her sister has a dip in her back. I'm like, this isn't a lumbar lordosis. I'm like, this is a black woman's hips. And then like, then he didn't say anything. And then in even in fitness, I started questioning things. Because even now with the diastasis, with the hernia, that was something for a long time, like I felt was abnormal. And something that my mother had said to me is that my grandmother was upset that when they told, my parents told her about the surgery and she had said that I, they shouldn't have, I shouldn't have had surgery, that it was completely normal, that it's something the hernia would have reduced as I grew older. And that like she sees it in the, like kids all the time. And like my younger sister, she had a hernia abdominal umbilical hernia hers wasn't as significant as mine but it was still it protruded and you could see it through her clothes but now it's reduced she just has like a little outie belly button my cousin had the same like an umbilical hernia and it's reduced as he grew up but none of them had intervention on it as children and so I started to 
And even like with my um, training, there was a point that I thought, oh, I'm going to do a fitness competition because I thought that was going to be my ultimate goal that I'm fixed and that I'm healed. And I was training and sending pictures to somebody that um, like she, she was somewhat of a mentor of me at the time. And I was like, do you think I could actually do well in it? And she looked and she was like, oh, well, your progress is really good, but I don't think you'll win because you're no matter how hard you work, you're never going to look like those other girls. And at the time that made me just feel really, really bad. And I was like, why would you say that? That's such a mean thing to say. And even today, I don't know if she meant it to be mean or not, but I mean, I think that she was right that no matter how hard I train, I wouldn't look like someone else. And I think because I've spent my life being told that the way that I look wasn't okay. And I grew up with in like the, where I grew up in Norwich, England, it was when we moved that was dubbed by, it was dubbed England's last white city. I was the only black girl in my first school, middle middle school and high school. So I've grown up comparing my body to people who don't look like me and comparing myself to bodies that don't represent mine and seeing bodies in books, in TV, in even the like personal training textbooks that I was looking at that weren't based on people that were built like me or that looked like me or my heritage. And that's kind of what I started realizing that I was on a losing battle if my goal was to achieve an aesthetic, a certain aesthetic to be happy. But that aesthetic was built around ideals that I would never fit into just by the nature of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is so important to be talking about when we speak about postpartum body image specifically too because we have we see our clients with so much discomfort around their bodies and their bellies postpartum and we need to do some real digging around why those discomforts exist as they are like what are the ideas and the ideals that we have about bodies and where did those ideas come from and it is this Eurocentric, this white idea that we have around what beauties and quote unquote good bodies should look like. And that's why I'm so interested recently too in your work, how you have been speaking, writing and educating around race a lot on your platforms, doing a ton of emotional labor around the topics of anti-blackness within the fitness industry why did you want to or decide to start writing more about that I think I was up the message for a long time that I was the exception to the rule like I had the hernias because I was the exception I just got unlucky I had this weird body um the hernia surgery didn't work for me because I was the exception I got the diastasis because I was this weird and I just kept thinking like I didn't fit in and I was always outside of what normal was and that was a struggle for me and then when I started sharing my story I started having people private message me it's not often in the comments that would say like I'm dealing with this or send me pictures of their belly and it happens so often I realized that oh like maybe I'm not the exception maybe like I'm just not being represented and then um and so that was kind of oh sorry I lost my train of thought (laughs) I might need you to repeat the question yeah no I think you're right on the right track like basically yes like why why is talking about race and anti-blackness and white supremacy important to you and your work that you're doing in fitness now okay yeah and so yeah it was just kind of pointing out that different 
different realities existing, different people existing. There was even a comment one time I was, um, I was in January, I was in a recorded a fitness video for um, my sisters and mother in law. She let me be part of it. And she, there was a black woman that was leading it. And she was like, she's a professional dancer. She's like super fit, super toned. And she was wearing a crop top. And I commented on my, to my sister, I'm like, oh, her belly is really, really like super toned. And she doesn't have a six pack. And then my sister, who was a professional dancer for like many years, she said, Oh yeah. She's like, it's just, that's a genetic thing. That's not like, she's like, not everybody can get super lean and get a six pack. And then she commented that a lot of the people she worked on the Lion King, which is dubbed the black play because a lot of the cast are like black and South Africa, black South Africans. She said a lot of the people that she worked with, like they dance for eight hours a day, seven days a week. They're super fit. She was like, they didn't have six packs. That's just a body type. And it was just kind of like little conversations being like, we have, there's this, we're aiming for these bodies. And it's like, who's being represented in these body types and then the diastasis it was seven years ago eight years ago it was an abnormality and then as more research is coming out people it's the research is kind of su- suggesting that it's actually very common like the latest research um said in 2021 showed in a study of 200 over 200 women 84 percent of them had diastasis, had diastasis postpartum, which makes sense because a study previous to that in 2019 showed that 100% of women at 35 weeks pregnant have, they have a separation. And depending on how the measurement is, because the measurement changes depending on who you're talking to, but it could be considered a diastasis, like 100% of full pre- full-term pregnant people have a diastasis because it's just a stretching of the tissues the stretching of the muscles, stretching of the tissues, which makes sense because the uterus is growing. So it makes sense that it will also have it postpartum. And then I, the irony of these programs, because many of the programs, I recently saw a program that said that it, it had clinical trials, which showed that it um, fixed like, so, I don't know, like it, over 80% of people that were in this clinical trial were successful. It took people that at the end of their pregnancies through the first like few months postpartum and just kind of saying uh, how their program is great because it fixed the, these women's diastasis. But the research shows that without intervention, within 12 months postpartum, up to over 70% of women will have a natural reduction. So like it's if you stick a program in, like understanding the way stats work, like, yes, you can say that the program affected it, but also it's shown that people that don't have program have changes because it may be an adaptation. And then with all the things being linked to back pain, because um, Ansel, the physio detective, he made a point. He said, have you ever said, I'm feeling really, really awesome. Let me go get an MRI scan which is like, that's the thing. Healthy people, people that don't feel well, don't go to the doctor to figure out why they feel so great. It's like when you have something that you feel is an issue that you're struggling with, you go to the doctor to try and figure out what that issue is. So people are having back pain and they're postpartum. And so they're going and they're being discovered that they have a diastasis because maybe they're a month postpartum and most people are going to have one in a month postpartum and they also have back pain. And so now they've been told that the diastasis is the reason for the back pain, which is the self, same self-confirming prophecy that I went with. Whereas, I mean, they just had a baby like there's, I've said that to clients too. I'm like, yeah, there's a bigger gap, but like, there's a lot of other things that are different too. Like there's tons in your body is different. And so all these differences may contribute to the pain, but you can't just Put it down to one thing. The only the single thing that did not happen during pregnancy was that your abs moved apart. It's like all your 
all your muscles were affected your whole body was affected and so kind of understanding that and there was a statement I can't remember who said it 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 was that the average um, child carrying person if you carry the carry a pregnancy then you go through more changes in those nine months of pregnancy than a person that has never been pregnant will go through their entire life like that's the extent your which your body changes so you expect to go through this like huge change within nine months and then have the baby in two seconds later like everything's like back to and I'm not even going to use the term back to normal because normal normal changes normal is like is relative and my son my 10 year old son made a point to that we were watching a Disney short and there was it shows the life of a child and this child was born with superpowers and their dad didn't have superpowers and the dad's getting very stressed like understanding the child growing up and there's a point when the child's like four or five and there's no words in the whole short apart from that one phrase the dad like screams why can't you just be normal and like my 10 year old son without a beat turns to me and he says everyone has a different way of being normal (laughs) and I was like that's so wise and that's what fitness um often gives us is like this is how you be normal but like everyone has a different way of being normal and like whose standard are we comparing everybody to and then I started being vocal more about just kind of lack of representation in fitness because a lot of these understandings people get stuck because they think it's scientific and it's based on science and like that's why it's been said and like science is also like the history, like who is who is being researched? What is the goal of the research? Like who is doing the research? And it's all it's always considering whose voices are being amplified, um, because everything, yeah, <laughs> everything has everything has context, and often things are taken out of context, and then it's not understood. We watch that short too. It's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I love that your son. I love that your son said that. It just really shows the ideas that you're, you all are instilling upon him, which is wonderful. Yeah. And as you talk about all of these things, and when we think about research and study design and who are the people doing the studying and what biases are they taking in with them into doing that work? Someone, a colleague of ours posted today, a link to a study that was showing that BMI was not associated with the, I think it was the development of pelvic organ prolapse, which is something that we have been shouting about for years is that no, maybe BMI, someone's body mass index is not associated with their development of pelvic organ prolapse. But as we think about anti-fatness and weight stigma and these ideas that we as humans then take into the research that we are doing, what do we think we're going to find? So this study is just confirming what is so good for us to hear. When we question ideas about bodies, we know that there's so much more to the development of pelvic organ prolapse than what someone's body might weigh. And as you're saying, all of us as postpartum folks, we have these ideas about what postpartum bodies should look like or could look like, but for who, what people yeah. and what bodies might look a certain way. The ideas As, are set around this whiteness. And like, it's like the, the beginning is always a standard. There's an ideal. It's not, 
because um President trainers, you often talk about client-based care, and that's about looking at the person in front of you and kind of what is normal to them. Like everyone has a different way of being normal versus having your idea of what normal is and trying to make them fit into that box. And it's like who like who is the research being done on this? Like in like there's a I can't remember the word, it's a heart a medication for uh, if you have emphysema. And all the research for that was done, the test groups were white men. And so the medication has been shown to be effective among white people, but this same medication is actually shown not only to be ineffective within black people, but to worsen their heart condition. Um, but it's still on the market, marketed to everyone. Because when we're saying like this, re- the research was done on this group, like who, who is within the group? And when you're saying this research is done on this group of women and this group of women have diastasis, it's like, who is the group? Because they never tell you like who, what the um, racialized makeup of the group is and kind of understanding that. And when we're saying like bodies should look like this, like whose body should look like this? That's the question because not everybody's body fits into this standard and not everybody's body looks like this postpartum and not everybody's and even this idea of flat bellies which is crazy now because there's a lot of women that are worried that their children have diastasis or their children's core is dysfunctional because their children don't have flat bellies versus because now they have this belief that this is how it's supposed to be versus seeing that their children don't have flat bellies. So why do we expect ourselves to adult to have flat bellies? Like you didn't have a flat belly when you were 16. Why should you have like a concave belly when you're 36 and have had three kids? But now we're like, oh, that's what we should do. Um, you might need surgery to get this way. Like, why doesn't my kid look this way? And we've created this idea of what normal should be instead of looking around us and seeing what normal is. Yeah, and all the variations that exist, exactly what your son was saying. Yeah. Okay, so I'm really interested to know what your relationship to the possibilities of surgery are now. Has that shifted and changed for you, or do you still feel set against it? It would be a no for you. Um, It was right now. I don't think that I needed to achieve the things that I thought I needed it for because I thought I needed surgery in order to be strong and in order to be able to like do hard exercises or do like crunches or planks, but I can because I realize I just have to kind of listen to my body and work within my own um, fences. I thought that I needed surgery to feel confident in my body or to feel beautiful, but then I... I'm kind of learning that it's feeling beautiful about in your body is about what your expectations of your body are. And also um, how you see bodies like yours represented because a lot of this stuff that I was taking in and um, it's kind of that I try and talk about that, like the race thing, you, what you see most often is what's normal to you. And for in Western countries, what we see most often, what is represented is white bodies in every field and in every kind of personality and, and character. And like in school, you'll go to schools and you'll learn about, I went to school in England. So you'll learn about how like white people are kings. They're like uh, kings and queens, Henry VIII, Queen Victoria. They're like uh, scientists, Marie Curie. They're um, inventors, um, Henry Ford. They you know, do all the things. And then um, 
black people we didn't learn about till the slave trade. And so there's like no black people represented in history and then you get slavery and then you get the civil rights movement. So then a lot of the information, it just kind of, without saying negative things about black people, that's what I absorbed as a child was that, oh, black people were enslaved and then they were really their power was in the ability to not be enslaved and then that's it but look at all the things white people do and there's even a song in family guy that i said to my husband the song annoyed me and he was like it's just a joke but i also sometimes i feel like some people don't always get the impact it's it's the lyric is don't thank and it is is a joke but i think the impact of that joke don't thank god thank the whites and talking about how white people invented all these things and i said well that's not true but we just don't hear about the black the things that black people invented um like Catherine walker who helped like launch the space uh launch apollo 13 um but also in fitness in just in every field in tv see like in friends i said you saw white people's friendships represented you see the good you see the bad you see the holy you see the pious you see the happy you see the sad black people are often represented in only one way like the slave or the former slave or the sexy video vix video the sexy video vixen or the strong black woman with the sassy attitude that nothing gets to her. So there are these very one dimensional representations. And so like as a black person, when I didn't fit into those one dimensional representations, I didn't feel like I fit in because I didn't see that I could be all these other things. And then often it was also reinforced with my friends because when I didn't fit these one dimensional stereotypes, I would be told that like, I don't act black or that I don't act like other black people. And then it would be like, or I speak really white. And I'm like, well, what, what is it to like do? Because I am black and I am like this. And so like, for me, I started becoming more vocal because I thought there's just a lack of representation. Like white people can be all, like all people can be all things, but we have this understanding that the white people can be a variety of things. And if you see a white person do something terrible in your head, you're not like white people are terrible. You're like, that person did a terrible thing. Versus if you see, it's often reported in the news, like you see like murders in black neighborhoods or the comment is, oh, that's black and black crime. That's what they do. That's what those people do versus no, like that person did that, but you can't group a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of different personalities. Like, yeah, um, some black people speak this way and some black people speak this way. And there's even a trend on TikTok that actually drives me crazy. It's, um, you know, you're black when, and people will stitch it. They're like, you'll know you're black if, and people will stitch it of all the different things they do. And I talked to this about my sister with my sister. And I'm like, I'll watch some of those videos. And I don't do that. I'm like, those aren't black things. So the cultural things, I'm like, that's a Southern thing. That's a Southern US thing. And yes, I related to this video. That's not a black thing. That's a Nigerian thing. Or that's a, and not even a Nigerian thing, because like they'll talk about strict parenting and you'll see like people from, um, not just, African culture, some people from some different Asian cultures will relate to it. I'm like, it's not a black thing. It's a cultural thing. So we need to stop saying like, this is a black thing. No, it's cultural. It's heritage. It's not innately black. Like I can be black and relate to it and I can be black and not relate to it. And it just, just this idea that to be black is to be one thing and to be white is to be anything. Yes. Thank you for all of that. Well, you and your voice and your work are just so needed within this fitness industry and particularly within pregnancy and postpartum. And so thank you for the work that you do. We, yeah, we need 
and we appreciate it. So I can't wait to meet you in person one day. Yeah. It'll be so fun. Believe the pandemic will end. (laughs) Yes, please, please, can the pandemic. And before we hop off, please tell the friends where they can find you on the internet. I am on Instagram at at mummy underscore fitness and mummy spelled m-u-m-m-y because i spell it the english the british way um on facebook at mummy fitness and my website is mummy-fitness.com thank you and emissa a joy to speak with you well thanks for having me on jesse i appreciate it We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 